and welcome to another episode of Underground Antics. My guest today is the wonderful Dr. Vidal Regisford, and I'm so happy to have you on today. We're going to have a, a really great discussion. You've done some work in, I mean, I can't tell you how many fields about all sorts of things from like community to counseling, you know, crisis intervention, social work and um corporate consultancy i mean your resume speaks uh volumes i mean you have two phds <laughs> not just one but two but today today we're going to have a very interesting discussion and I'm, I'm very excited for it and thank you for coming on hey my pleasure to be here my pleasure to be here so i think today to start off the discussion uh you and I had previously spoken about some things uh, that are going on in the world at the moment and how there's recently been a confluence of driving factors in the current situation with the pandemic and how that relates to racial relations in society and, and in cultures and how that's affecting people and primarily what that means for humanity as a means of change or how are we transforming ourselves and our society during this incredibly challenging time for everyone. Um, and so I know you've been doing a lot of work in this area recently and you know, you've spoken on a few occasions about what the impact of you know, the Black Lives Matters movement has given to societies and how widespread in the world that that has been and how amazing, you know, the, the influence has really gone uh, in the last few months, right? And so I think maybe that's a good point for us to start on today, right? Um, what do you, how, do, how would you give a quick, like, assessment of the current situation in, in society? This is a renaissance, she. Okay. We are going through a renaissance of sorts, um, whether it be you say it's zeitgeist or tipping point. I think the events of the last ten years or so around the world has brought us to this place where we've had to pause and think about what is what is humanity. Is there an identity that is emerging? Is there a collective consciousness? about all of our experiences as human beings on this planet that came to a, a head in the last year. Whether you go back as far as the, the uprising in Syria and the Middle East, um, whether it be you talk about more currently um, the pandemic, um, the coronavirus, this invisible enemy that has affected all humanity where irrespective of um, whether it be you are left of center, right of center, everyone has come together to fight this. And then you have this, this event that has spoken to a history of um, disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement of a group of people, namely black people around the world that reached its zenith through the lynching of George Floyd. And I don't call it a murder. I'm intentional. It's a modern day lynching of yeah. a black man that caused the world to stop. And we stopped simply because we had the disposability of time. Right. We're all told to stay at home, stay inside. We're forced to watch TV, be creative. Why? Because of this pandemic. And here we had this event. So we couldn't run. And we had to reckon with that. And as a result of that, and the loss of this, this, this tragic loss of this life, and what's happening with the coronavirus, and it now is mutation, we've all been forced to think about life differently. We've all been forced to think about our neighbor differently, whether it be you're in the West, or whether it be you're in the East. We've all had to think and reckon with what is this new way of thinking, this new way of life that's going to affect all of us and the way that we exist, the way the planet exists. Certainly the planet has been given a, a refreshing, you know, smog has apparently gone down. The rivers are much cleaner. Um, although the pandemic is a bad thing and although George Floyd is a bad thing, some good has happened. 
but do we have the capacity as human beings to appreciate that and to refresh and resurrect ourselves as fellow companions on this earth? I think that's going to be the test for us, but definitely in this frame, this the, the space of what I call a renaissance, and certainly the black community across the world is going through a renaissance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think renaissance is a great way to describe it. And in this, you know, transformational period that we're going through, where there are these great challenges for everybody in different ways, right? And as you say, like, it really has forced everyone to sit back and reflect on themselves and humanity at large, you know, and, and what it means for us to exist in a world going forwards in the future and what's priority and, and what's not priority. And, you know, what does it mean for each individual person to now take this, whatever challenges come up in a person's life, right? Um, and whether it's on a collective scale or on an individual scale. And I think that the time at home, you're right, has forced people to be like, okay, let, now's the time to figure out what's important to me and what can I do about that or what is there to be done or what needs to change or how do I need to change, I think is most important to the a transformation of anything is the individual in that change right would you agree on that that like in order for there to be a collective change you it needs to start with the individual absolutely it starts with the individual it starts with the individual's consciousness this conscientization this rethinking um this awakening or as we say now this yeah. state of becoming woke um, mm -hmm. an awareness that your existence and your place your location is not disconnected from your neighbor and from those around you. So what does that mean for me, the individual, the self? What do I need to begin to contemplate about this, this life and, and being a human being on this earth that is different? Certainly the Gen X, certainly Gen Ys are thinking vastly differently than the baby boomers and those who post baby boomers. Most definitely, and they're saying, look, the way in which you all have constructed life, we no longer subscribe to that. Mm -hmm. We're quite content pushing back and pushing the margins to create and redesign a world that involves everyone, where there is food security for everyone. Mm -hmm. There is this distribution of wealth for everyone. And we see that evidence through the protests and through social media. Who would ever thought back in the late 70s, 80s, right. that the, the onset of the computer would permit this kind of social movement where you and I don't have to be in the same place to talk about change. We can be at different parts of the world and be communicating around change in a way that within time and space can create a movement. Right. Yeah, you're right. The, the social media environment has definitely empowered people who are who who would previously have been disconnected and unable to get together and work together to push for whatever change they're going for. Right. And that that's a good thing, I think. Oh, it can be. I mean, I there's good and bad to everything, right? It depends how it's used. Um as they say with great power comes great responsibility. Um, Absolutely. To whom no. much is given, much is required, as the, the, the old scripture says. Right. Absolutely. So um, what does that mean for all of us, no matter how great or small we are? Mm -hmm. So how would... Now, one of the things that's been a big question for me recently is how do you... Not you specifically, but how does one approach a change without vilifying like entire groups of people in in any respect right because i've been having like these really interesting experiences in the last couple of years where when i see these things on tv you know whether it's 
in in China or in India or in America particularly or in Africa, whenever there's a, a seemingly um, a, a push in a movement and a change, and you know, oftentimes those take the form of uh, violence to some degree or other. And you know, there, there's a debate about how much of that is needed and um, whether that you know ultimately pushes in the right direction. And it does because you know, peace is limited in its capacity i think um sometimes like um so anyway just to get back to so when i see something um i have this experience of trying to put myself in the shoes of everyone in the situation whether it's the um let's say you know for lack of a better word it's either the like victims or the oppressors let's just say in in terms of vocabulary so it's like who who is the person that's doing this why are they doing this um and and it comes from a place of compassion more than anything right and particularly when you see individuals doing like evil things or heinous acts right uh I have this experience of like, well, how does a person get there, right? And what have they been through that have led them to this point? And as as I'm sure you're you're well aware, like trauma often repeats itself, right? And so the people who inflict violence and trauma on other people often come from that exact environment themselves, right? In childhood or in society at large or whatever it is. And so how do we go forwards making sure that we're not doing it the same way to then just re-inflict the same problem in a different light, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So while you say trauma, I would add to that trauma and the combination of power. Right. So, and power not only in terms of brute, brute force, in terms of an army, but also it could be economic power, political mm-hmm. power, social power. Um I think the the key for me when I examine this is is asking the question, and that is, can we all agree that for the most part, we are divine human beings, divine creations in human form that have the capacity for compassion, for love, for peace. And if we accept that that is a, a basis for all of us, and that there's some who lose their way, if I may say that, then it is left for right-minded people where we commonly know as human beings. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that's coming. You mentioned compassion. No matter where you go in this world, the idea of compassion, the idea of empathy, the idea of kindness, the idea of serving, the idea of community, generally speaking, is commonplace. We all subscribe to that. It's, it's, it's an implicit reality to our existence. It's as though it's part of our DNA. We know, yeah. we understand that. So the great, so for me, the issue then is how do we appeal to that part of our consciousness? Mm-hmm. How do we appeal to the conscious consciousness of each and every man where they have done wrong? Right. And talk about restoration talk about forgiveness so i wrote a piece the other day about george floyd and here we are celebrating justice of all things we're celebrating that justice was executed well should not be should that not be a given and a part of what i said was look my desire is not that there is this great retribution against the man no the system that we have has seen fit to say what he did was wrong, and there's a consequence for that. But at the end of the day, he's a human being. Mm-hmm. For me, subscribing to an ideology or a perspective that says, well, he should die, would be a contradiction of what I believe to, our, to be our common values about the sanctity of life and the value of life. It Absolutely. would be an endorsement of a vig- vigilante vigilante kind of idea that says, well, if he has done wrong, then he should die. Well, 
In one sense, yes, but we have a system that we've all subscribed to. And we've all said, for all intents and purposes, let the rule of law prevail. And in this instance, it did. It said mm -hmm. he did wrong, and here's a consequence. So what am I saying? If we can appeal to the good conscience in each and every one, then we regulate our we regulate those baser drives, those primordial drives that says we are now going to do unto others what they have done unto us, yeah. rather than have compassion, rather than have forgiveness. Right. I'm not saying it's easy, because there's been a pathway, perhaps a train wreck of pain. But it's up to each and every one of us to regulate those baser instincts, those that 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 reptilian instinct for revenge and for attacking for a more sobering perspective, mm -hmm. a more rational, reasonable perspective about yeah. change. I think that's absolutely right. And that while anyone can easily understand where someone comes from when they want revenge, right? Particularly if it's someone who's close to you or part of a group that you're a part of. Um, if you're not, you know, conscious, let's say, of how you're acting in or behaving in, in certain conditions or even just emotionally responding to things, you might find yourself on, at, in the same place just from a different perspective, right? Like doing the same thing that you denounced for various reasons, right? And I think that history in just about every place in the world shows how that there's often a continuous like cyclical um, cultural shifting where the power dynamics shift, but it doesn't transcend as much as people would have liked when they're trying to push for these changes, right? It, mm -hmm. it ends up just being a repeated cycle, but differently, right? So mm -hmm. individuals go from, from high to low and then it swaps out or, or whatever it is, right? I, I mean, I know that's a huge oversimplification and I, I don't claim to know, you know any expertise on history, but just from what I've seen and, and learned, like that seems to be how people can tend, like tend towards. And it's interesting because it, it is extremely difficult, particularly with the modern age when you see what's happening, right? Like the video of George Floyd, like it's really hard to watch, right? Obviously. Many, pe many people have, have not watched it. Yeah. And many, many people in the black community, as well as the broad community, have not watched that video. Um, of course. And for it, good it, reasons. Yeah. It, it's difficult to watch someone die, regardless of how it is. Even if you're seeing a, a video of war, right? Like, and you're seeing two um, forces shooting at each other and people are getting shot and killed or whatever it is. It's not good. It's not fun to see. It's terrible, right? And it's there's, there's a part of you as a human that goes, this is, something's not right here, right? Like what's happening? Like, is this really solving anything? Like, are we doing good by killing others? Um, and it, it, it's very difficult to then watch that and then be able to say, okay, but now let me think of, I need to approach this rationally and from a place of compassion for everyone involved, as you said, so that, you know, um, regardless of what the situation was, what? how do we take this and do good with it and not use it as a tool for vengeance and for destruction, right? Because it does inspire those base instincts in you um, to, you know, want to get out and fight and do something because of, because of it, this injustice that has happened. Right. And so I, I think it's very difficult for people to do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, and I would say, Shane, that social change is not a vehicle for revenge. Social right. change is a vehicle for peace. It's a vehicle for justice. And so, like in any movement, mm -hmm. there will always be fringe um, movements that yeah. 
lobby for violence, that lobby for revenge. But generally speaking, throughout time, we've seen that that and those fringe movements, those fringe elements have, have waned because the general consensus of the masses is that that old adage, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. And what happens is the cycle continues if we go down that path. And so the prevailing order has always been that those who stand for justice, those who fight for justice, will fight insofar as they do them not do they themselves do not become perpetrators of violence. So right. who are those people? Who we're gonna say Martin Luther King you know, I would be ignorant to think that Martin Luther King did not feel at any given time in his life and his tenure the need to be violent. But mm-hmm. something inside of him resisted that because he acknowledged and recognized that there's a higher purpose to all of our existence. There's a higher purpose to our being here on earth beyond revenge. So what is that? And it is an idea, and it often isn't an idea, about the world that we want to create. It right. is about a vision of a world that transcends violence, that transcends social injustice, political injustice, economic injustice, that says, can we imagine, can we think about a time or a life where we literally are treated equally and we can we, we can walk the streets as brothers and sisters of this great experiment called humankind. Right. If you have that prevailing idea and it galvanizes the interest and the enthusiasm of others, it makes small those who are legitimately angry, but perhaps misdirected. Right. And you're right, the, the fringe movements tend to create bad PR for the, you know, big, uh, mm-hmm. overwhelming idea, as, you know, so to speak. Um, and I think that for the most part, you know, every individual person, they're, what they want out of life is an oversimplification would be, but roughly speaking, to maximize happiness and love and peace um, and living a good life and to minimize suffering for themselves primarily and for other people around them, right? And that idea tends to be what most people want and then the execution of it, well, that varies. And sometimes it takes a kind of a dark turn where there's this idea of like, well, we can't have peace if these, this people or this group or whatever it is still exists, so we should get rid of them. Right. And that's a bad, that's obviously a bad idea. Um, Absolutely. And it's interesting how history has kind of demonstrated that when there've been big movements for like peace and like utopian societies, uh, it doesn't really work as well as people had hoped so far. Right. And it, it's a learning <laughs> process. And, you know, I'm not saying that I could do a better job of any of it, but. You know, if you just look at like how communist countries have come into power and then fallen apart, whether it's Russia or China or Cambodia or a whole host of situations where the idea behind it makes sense, right? Where there's like this really a genuine compassionate push for a society where people are equal and you know, power distribution makes sense and, you know, people can live their best lives in this society. And that that's the driving force, right? Even like national socialism in, Ger- in Germany, right? Like mm-hmm. that was kind of the push, was it? It was for a better humanity. And some somehow when you, they, you get these like mix and transitions of power and people like come in and make, different changes and whatever, it, it seems to have often ended just horrendously, right? Hundreds of millions of people died at the hands of these, so, you know, these like causes that that are intended to be good, right? And so 
I don't know if you have an exact answer for this because I think it's a, it's a, obviously a, an enormous question where there's so much to take into account. But how do how does that not happen? Like how do you how can you avoid that? Right, and that's a question that I think we we need to answer if we want to figure out a way to move forwards without doing that to our own people, so to speak. So I, I would challenge that question, Shane. I would say why would we expect there not to be a cost up to and including a loss of life? I'm not saying that I endorse that, but if we go back to some basic social science theory that we learn in sociology, so the idea that the, pow- the people in power don't give up without resistance, mm-hmm. it means that there are going to be consequences, whether it be the war between the British and the Americans, or the American Civil War, the Bolshevik Revolution, you know. Unfortunately, those in power do not give up power without there being some resistance. So we acknowledge that there will be some casualties, some loss of life, and some have gone forward knowing full well that there will be a loss, that there is a price to pay but the greater good will come afterwards. That's why we have martyrs. That's why we venerate people who put it on the line, knowing full well that there will be a consequence for them in any form of social movement. And again, I don't say that to endorse um, death, but I say that our perspective, our construct of change also needs to be adaptable to embrace what is most uncomfortable. And that is where possible, we try to avoid the loss of life. But there are instances where the loss of life does occur and is perhaps a requirement for full change. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's like Mm -hmm. a hard pill to swallow when we began to talk about um, quote unquote, euthanasia in Canada or, you know, end end of life, end of stage life and what happens to an individual. Hard pill to swallow. But I dare you share, show me a movement where there hasn't been casualties. And so our natural resistance as human beings is that, ooh, yeah, why would we want that to happen? Well, because we have those in power who are saying, we're not giving this up. The elixir of this place that we are in is so sweet, so inebriating, so intoxicating that we're not going to give it up without a fight. And if you want it, come and get it. And social and democratic states around the world, certainly Western democracies, that has been the case. So while I hear you, I also accept a reality, a truth. And I accept that when we go back, Shane, to all movements. Mm -hmm. You go back to slavery. You go to the civil rights movement. You go to the women's movement, wherever it has been around the world. You go to um, Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, even modern day. Here we have conflict in in, in Southeast Asia right now. Um, There's a loss of life, most regrettably, apartheid, loss of life. Yeah. But did they bring about change? Yes. I think think for me, a, a more sobering, conversation would be what and how do we commemorate those people who lost their lives fighting for justice rather than we can't get there without there being casualties again i'm not endorsing that you and i would 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 love for one day for the power elites to say yeah we're going to sit back okay we'll share power with you sure come to the table of brotherly love and we'll split we'll split the we'll split the goods with you we'll split the booty with you it's not going to happen yeah yeah we'll we'll create social change and equity and inclusion for everyone it unfortunately doesn't happen why right because as human beings this thirst for power um is in an, is is and of itself a drug yeah that some find hard to resist right but to uh... Doesn't that um, 
because for me it's it's hard to i'll just you know i don't i don't claim to be an expert on on anything but just from my like opinion on things it's like doesn't that like the attitude of uh there there needs to be casualties to promote a greater good doesn't that conflict with what you had said earlier about the divinity of each human right now that's not to say that you you shouldn't you know um fight against the powers that be that require change right but like for me it's it's like if you look at former the former soviet union right for example it was like okay there was a bunch of people that were wanting a greater good right a great society a utopia where all of these things that we've spoken about can come to be and so they forced that into power and that was good right and things seemed to be okay for a little bit but as you say the power is intoxicating and then you know a couple of decades later 100 million people of their own people have been killed in the name of this greater good that just wasn't there anymore right and so it's difficult to like like i i totally understand what you're saying right because like i'm from south africa like i was born and raised there and so you know the apartheid history like that's part of was part of my education and my experience of living there and you know nelson mandela like when he was an activist and a freedom fighter um, before he went to jail, like he was, the the country labeled him as a terrorist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he was imprisoned for terrorist acts, so to supposedly. I mean, mm-hmm. you can question that now whether they were terrorist acts or whatever it is, but the reigning powers, that's what they called it, right? And then he went to jail for like twenty seven years, and he came out and eventually became president and that was the beginning of the the freedom and the liberation was was his inauguration and um it it did wonderful things for a lot of people in society right and and his term uh of presidency was so promising and optimistic about how the future is going to be for everyone who lives there right and people had such high hopes and such great expectations and he he did a really phenomenal job of peacekeeping in a time where there was basically on the brink of civil war right which would have been a massacre um and then what seemed to happen was the people who came in after him things just seemed to start to get worse right because of the elixir of power and so the corruption that started to occur at every level of government and public organizations and all sorts of things like that just got progressively bigger right and it it, it was all done still in the name of um the better future or the greater good right and it it's arguably made things since if we just look at post-apartheid so we'd look at like the four years of mandela and so from then on there seemed to now start to be a decrease of how things are going for everyone just about in in that that country right and so that's how does how do you reconcile with that because in the name of the greater good is is anything not exempt right like in Cambodia where there was a revolution against the intellectuals at some point and they killed 50% of their population in the name of, you know, uh, giving power back to a working class or, or the the people or whatever it is. And, you know, people who had educations, like the, the criteria for death was like education, like wearing glasses, like, just you know really crazy metrics of being able to um qualify to to be sentenced to death in the name of the greater good right now i i know you don't endorse that that kind of thinking obviously and neither do i but that does seem to happen so how, how do you avoid that happening without not vilifying anyone right because I don't know how it's possible or if it's possible or whatever it is, but you're right. Like a transition of power 
is messy, right? And people don't like to give up their power. And it's often taken by force, right? I agree. I don't argue with that. But how do you then stop what is essentially just a cycle of doing the same thing to other people who have now been called the enemy of whatever, you know, idea is being pushed as the dominant force, right? And and how do you, how do people avoid being seduced by the power which leads to corruption and, and all sorts of things like that? I mean, I, listen, it's a very general big question and yeah, we're, we're not going to solve it now, but I think it's a good discussion to have. <clears throat> so... There is no law, no universal law against lunacy. Yeah. There isn't. And so you're absolutely correct. In exchange for what we believe is good, we get something similar, just Mm -hmm. a different package, and people are still oppressed. Mm -hmm. So let's peel that back. Why is that? Well, one thing is, when the movement was in tow, the accountability wasn't there to hold people accountable. The to hold who accountable? There, to hold those who were coming into power accountable. Mm-hmm. So Mandela came, Mandela came in with a promise, and, and that was great. But you had a young generation who was saying, well, wait a second here. We want to see that promise. We want to get land back. Um, we want better conditions, better education. Where is that? And the politics of that time didn't permit for him to move or if he moved he would be he would have been alienated from mm-hmm. those who were around him and so who came in after who came in afterwards took it over and it just continued on and so people still wonder oh, wait where's this promise where's this promise that we had well you know blacks in america are still waiting for 40 acres and a mule that was promised them 400 years ago yeah where is it Right? In Northern Ireland, in Ireland, they still want to, no relationship with Britain. Where is it? Mm-hmm. In New Zealand, indigenous people in, in Australia and New Zealand are still looking for sovereignty. Here in Canada. Yeah. Right? Our First Nations is still waiting for clean water in 2021. 35, 35 to 50 advisories of poor drinking water in a modern developed nation. Yeah. What, what is, and, I, and I only say that to affirm and validate what you're saying. The struggle, because, because we engage in the struggle, doesn't mean that the war is over. And that's where we miss the mark. The battle still continues. The struggle still continues. Because it is a pursuit of a perfected state. It is a pursuit of a perfected union, as the Americans call it. No different than we have here. Mm-hmm. It's this pursuit of this that is the ongoing work that unfortunately some sacrificially give their lives to at the, at the cost or at the hope of one day we'll get there. So the answers are not easy. But what we do know is that the helm of this are human beings. And I would say human beings that are net, not held accountable for what they purport to say. And what do we do here in quote unquote clean Canada. If we don't like what you've said when you went for the election, we do our best to kick you out next time. And Mm -hmm. we've we've done that with some governments, some successfully, some not so successfully. Right? So the antidote has to be the consciousness, the collective consciousness of that mass that said we want to change, and we're going to hold you accountable to that change. And we're going to hold you to that until we see change for everyone, so to speak. Yeah. When when that mass steps back and relaxes because, okay, we've got a new leader in power. Let's relax. Whew, that's over and done with. It's doesn't like work. leaving. doesn't work at all. It's like, no. no, it's like leaving the cats to supervise the rats. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? Something's going to go awry. Because in a free and democratic state, we should be the ones that say, hey, we're going to hold you to the fire here. You've now come in. We're going to hold you to the fire based on your promises. And the moment we see that you're not 
living up to those promises, those commitments. We're going to push for change. Yeah. And that's important for you to know. And we're going to push the change to the point that even if there's a consequence for us, we'd rather pay that than have you continue to do and perpetuate what has been done. So you're absolutely right. The hundreds and millions of people who have died as a result of, of these movements and we still are struggling. That's part of this perfecting state, this perfecting of our ideals around what we desire, what we aspire for as societies, whether it be you're in the East or you're in the West. Right. And it's an ongoing work. Why? Because we have centrally human beings who are flawed. Human beings who, when given the reins of power, lack the discipline to manage and govern well. In extreme cases, in limited cases. Yeah. And I'm sure, listen, to be fair, to be in a position of that much power, it must be extraordinarily difficult, it, particularly with already established systems that are sort of self-perpetuating and self-governing, and then that just sort of rises up to a top person or people that kind of oversee everything, and trying to make change in that is difficult and it's slow and it takes time and you're right like holding people accountable is important especially in, in politics because you know a lot of campaigning is just promising and then uh once people get into elected positions they probably realize oh it's not as simple as how i had thought it would be and so it's very difficult and then they kind of just coast along or whatever it is and do the best they can um i mean just as an example like with covid like all the government decisions it, it's a lot of it you know people get very angry about and they're like this is the wrong one and that was the wrong one and fair enough like i don't know what the right answer is a lot of the time i'm just like thank god i'm not making these decisions like that's the position Absolutely. that's the position i take because i'm like i don't want to have to make these choices because i feel there's no like it doesn't seem like there's a winning answer a lot of the time right and so it, it, it's extraordinarily difficult but you're right that the consciousness of humanity is evolving and it's evolving through various iterations and trials of can this work how do we do this but you know what can we learn from past historical attempts at it right and that there is this evolution yeah go ahead i was going to say to you good leaders good leaders know that they have a shelf life. Mm -hmm. Good leaders know that I can get you to this point. But after that, leaders who are focused on the high purpose have the ability to step back and say, where you need to go, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. it, you go on. I believe the story is about Abraham Lincoln. When he got them through that mess and the Emancipation Proclamation and all of that, that they're struggling with today. Mm -hmm. They said, well, hey, wait a second here. We know we agreed with two terms. What do you think about going and continuing on? And he said, no, we agreed. Two terms is this. It's time for somebody else to step up. Yeah. But again, that's appealing to the good conscience of each of everyone to know that there are limitations within themselves and the work that they're doing that says, hey, it's time for someone else to take over, time for someone else to group. And we've seen in business and in leadership in this country and across the world where leaders have stayed too long. Mm. And the demise of those organizations, huge institutions have led to the death of those organizations because those leaders stayed too long. Why? Shane, we cannot talk about social movements. We cannot talk about change and political change and all that without talking about the individual, the individual psyche, the individual who is present and what drives and motivates them, the ego, yeah, the need for power and what that does to a human being. And it takes the strength of character for someone to say, you know what? Good enough. So some would argue Nelson Mandela gets released. Should he have become president? Some would argue no. Now, it doesn't mean that he should not have influence over who takes leadership. Right. But should he have? That question will, will be debated for some time to come. Yeah. 
and so you can't really i mean you can debate it but most of all you can sort of just see how it happened and what to learn from it right absolutely um but yeah you're right the and, and I think it's important is about that leadership transition and how there's a role for leaders and then there's also a role for individuals, right? Because I think that like a if someone has a disposition, like you guys must sort it out for everyone. That doesn't really work, right? Yeah. You can't be like, I'm going to vote in this person and then that's they'll fix it, right? It doesn't work because it, it's every person has to reflect on their own ego and their own self-awareness and actions and behaviors and be like, where do I fit into this, right? How am I either making it better or worse? And what can I do to change it if need be, right? And obviously, yeah. like, it, 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 it's not a simple to- as simple as that. And, you know, the ego is a very funny thing that likes to find sneaky ways around everything but um, and, yeah that's the nature of human beings but just let, let's just reimagine let's just reimagine for a moment in the so-called social dem- democratic states of the western world um, that we really subscribe to an idea and that is that you as a citizen have that right to say i object to any state policy and insofar as I can get enough people to join forces with me, that should be changed. Let's reimagine if we were able to really groom and nurture politicization in such a way that once an individual votes, they continue to be involved mm-hmm. in the implementation process. That it's not just you come as a citizen, you vote and leave it, as you said, to those who we believe to be those to be the leaders who will be charged with executing a plan to make better our lives, but rather we stayed engaged. So imagine if we nurtured that from kindergarten, middle school, this whole idea of political engagement and political involvement that allowed and permitted people from time to time to engage with their leaders, directly with their leaders, to participate in the process whereby you're sending out a budget, okay, so for example, the national budget shame, mm-hmm. the provincial budget. Why is it that you and I don't get a stake in saying, oh, wait, this is where I'd like to see the taxpayers' dollars go? We don't. Right. That's taken away from us. A politically engaged society says that for those major critical decisions to the functioning of the society, everyone gets a vote. Everyone gets to participate insofar as he or she wants to. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, we do do that when we have, so to speak, because we have the capacity and the facility in the system to do that. Because when we have referendums or when we have filibusters, theoretically, each and every citizen gets to say, well, this is what I vote on this. So my question is, why can't we do that for the budget? Why can't we do that when we're thinking about large scale decisions, such as the pipeline across Canada? Why can't every citizen in this country play a role in giving voice to that decision that cabinet makes yeah that would be good if that could happen you know yeah well if would, we if we if we imagine it it can't happen the question then is how do we make it happen right yeah absolutely and i don't know the answer to that question right, um, right. it's a rhetorical question for you and yeah. everybody else but if we can imagine this is where ideas stem from is this reimagining of the way in which we want to function it's a reimagination of how we can ensure that everyone functions in this great political system that we've got with a share of the say, share of a say in what happens that affects their lives. Right. And how much do pe- should people be involved in it? Is a, it's a complicated question, right? I mean, this is essentially what we're talking about is like the birth of politics, which is people want that certain things and they want their leaders to act in different ways and uh not i mean not everyone wants the same thing which is why there's competition right and mm-hmm. and you know the sort of left leaning side of things is that there's a big push for change and then the right conservative side of things there's it's like no well things are pretty good as they are let's just kind of keep it that way we don't want to upset anything too much right and so um people have different views on things and then i guess that's why there's 
big movements on both sides or whatever it is because there's a multitude of ways that people want things done right absolutely and and that won't change it won't change because we have subscribed that in a political democracy everyone has this notion of freedom yeah and that those freedoms are governed under a charter or bill of rights or a constitution and so the moment we start to challenge that we erode this idea of individual freedoms and right the right to self-determine self-direct mm-hmm. and so is it is it a very tender and delicate balance absolutely is it impossible absolutely not absolutely yeah. not. we can create the conditions if we so choose and if we have enough people saying hey we need to reckon with this you know the me too movement the black lives movement um led to that back in the 70s the whole protest against nuclear plants led to legislation that said no we're not going to have n- nuclear plants at every at, at every intersection in the city no we're going to regulate that yeah and we're going to make sure that we balance that with the interests of the public and so this is not impossible it's it's about the will of the people and the will of politicians but again if we as the populace do not hold our leaders accountable in a political democracy then it's our fault Mm-hmm. We have got the government that we've permitted to be elected. And yeah. we need to we can change that. So they talk about electoral reform. Great. Then let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about this 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 whole idea of regional differences from coast to coast, notwithstanding time zones, and come to some level of 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 um, understanding about the uniqueness of who we are as a nation that binds us together irrespective of differences mm-hmm. rather than these regional differences if you're on the east coast or in the west coast of central canada you know we can get to a place in our consciousness where we where we operate with a higher appreciation of one our existence here and two our collective existence with each other right but now how does that play out when people want different things. Oh, and geez, it, 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 that, that's like being a parent of three children. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, trying to it, regulate I, that. And try, you try to regulate that. Look, I, I, I think we have to always balance this central theme. What is in the best interest of society? What is the best interest of our political system and that can differ from one to the other but by default we will hear echoes and cries that we will either ignore or we will heed so what is in the best interest of this nation even if it's a small voice and their numbers are low should be that clean drinking water is available to every single citizen no matter where you are that the right to equal treatment and justice under the law, whether it be a black, white, indigenous, LGBTQ2 spirits, doesn't matter. You have the right enshrined in law to be treated fairly. And when that happens, the law and the, and the system moves to correct that. Mm-hmm. So these are not, these might be broad theoretical, ideological, conceptual ideas, but they're not hard to put into place because they can be. And we've done that. We've said, it's not good to smoke. It's not good to drink and drive. There was a time when it was okay to drink and drive. Yeah. You know, for all intents and purposes. We've said it's not good to be selling tobacco to teenagers. Why? Because some folks said, hey, I think that's a really dumb thing that you're selling tobacco to 16 and 15 year olds. Maybe we should change that, especially if we're going to be at a cost 40 years from now. Yeah. We've done that. It's to move away from the selectivity and, 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 and listen to voices, even though they may be small and may be distant, but recognize that those voices are equally important as the voice that's speaking loudly about jobs, mm-hmm. about the interest rate, um, about roads, about defense, that those voices that are speaking about water, that are speaking about um, childcare are equally important to be listened to and good leaders listen to those voices 
recognizing that the whole cannot survive without its parts. And the parts right. cannot be a whole without its parts. Every, everything comes together. Yeah. A delicate balance, but an essential balance. Because when we don't, guess what happens? We have here in, 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 in Ontario, we have Caledonia, where our, our, our indigenous brothers and sisters say, hey, hell no, you're not going to be developing any land here. No, we're gonna make we're gonna make our presence known, or in Quebec, our indigenous brothers and sisters say, "Hey, hell no, Oka, there we are. We having to deal with that." Yeah. Right. Or Black Lives Matter, or protests. My goodness, I don't know if you follow English British soccer, but being a former Brit, I followed the 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 the, the Barclays Premier League. Yeah. There it is, the Big Twelve teams, and see, we talk about this politically. You know, the big 12 soccer teams in Europe decided to have a harebrained idea. Oh, we're going to create a Super League. In the midst of a pandemic, yeah. fans, fan, fans aren't even in the stand. And they're sitting behind their boardroom contemplating, how do we create a Super League? Why? Because we want to get more revenue. For owners who have no knowledge of the game, have never kicked a soccer ball in their lives. And what happened? The fans social media said hey wait a second here this isn't gonna happen yeah I'm this like, isn't no, gonna no, happen no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> and what did they do simple things they stopped the bus with the soccer players from going into the stadium and when one team retracted everybody else retracted and said okay you know maybe that was a dumb idea but that's that's con conservative maneuvering that has happened here in this province and in this country you go to the extreme and depending on what kind of blowback you get you retreat yeah. Right. And so where am I going with that? My point is simply this, that even people, people as human beings, when they feel affected by a change that's going to affect them, they will say, hey, you know, this is not for me. I'm going to do something about it. Even those fringe, you know, organizations like those who stormed the U.S. Capitol, you know, the beacon mm -hmm. of democracy in the Western world, they said, hey, we don't like what's going on and we're gonna organize ourselves and do something. Dumb, stupid, regrettably loss of life. But there has to be in the system room for people to say, even though my voice is out here and it's fringe, I still need to be listened to. It doesn't mean that you get to act inappropriately. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't mean that you get to cause the loss of life. No, and you should help be held accountable for that. But we've got to be prepared to listen to all voices. When we don't, it tells me that leaders are thinking simply about the here and now and perpetuating the here and now based on the popular narrative. Right. And not about the collective narrative. Right. I, Absolutely. And silencing people is not a good idea either. No. No. It doesn't you, work. Because people eventually says, yeah. No, I'm gonna you know, a good friend of mine said this. Um as a matter of fact, it was a client uh, from Africa. She said to me, you know, Vidal, this is like this. And I was working with her and she said to me, I said to her, who took your power? Who took your voice? And she said, Vidal, thank you for reminding me because we have a saying in our village, who gave the fool the whistle? Right. Once you give the fool the whistle, you can't get it back. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. you've alerted him that he's got a voice or her that she's got a voice. And that's what political systems fail to do is they realize that their, act, their actions give voice to people who are discontent and who will eventually say enough is enough. Yeah. And by that time, when it would have been easy to sit, meet, listen to those voices, bring them to the table, it's too late. Because yeah. now it's shameful. It reflects poorly on leadership. And now you're in a state where you're you're dealing with the the court of public opinion as well as people who are willing to say we're willing to pay the price here right when it gets to that extreme you're absolutely exactly. right um and and that there does need to be an essential balance and a way to engage in conversations without it being just dismissed or forgot or not forgotten but like you know just being like i don't want to talk about that you know, or like your voice doesn't matter or whatever it is. And I think that we are missing that 
in the culture at the moment where people do get stuck in in these little like echo chambers and they don't want to hear anything else but what they agree with right Absolutely. and so and, and, it, it that's a problem yeah and those voices won't go away sadly no. especially with the onset of social media they won't go away so it's 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 delusional for them to think well if i ignore it long enough it's going to go away no it's going to catch up to you yeah it's going to catch up to you and so is it is it's far better to be at a place where you're open to those voices as fringe as they are and as difficult as it is to listen to than to close them off. So in the work that I do from time to time around anti-racist education or diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. there are always those fringe voices that talk about the white men and white people and what they have had to endure. I don't shut them down. Right. I entertain because it's far better to have those voices shared with the hopes of influencing a new perspective, a new way of being and thinking than to have them silent. Right, because otherwise they'll come banging on your door at a later point. Yeah, or they'll do damage elsewhere. Yeah. To um, other people. Right, absolutely. And I, yeah, it, it's a very delicate discussion to have, mm-hmm. right? But it's important for people to be able to entertain ideas that aren't, you know, constituent with their own. Um, yeah, I say be comfortable, you know, be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Sit sit in your discomfort and be comfortable with it for a moment because there's an appreciable experience that happens when I sit in your discomfort for the moment. I get to appreciate what you're telling me about your experience that I need to reconsider, that I need to think about. And in my own life, become a whole lot more aware of so i do differently because right. if i if i have listened then for all intents and purposes i should learn something new and if i've learned something new from your experience then i understand you a bit more and when i understand you a bit more i am compelled as a human being to act right there is no room there's there isn't room there isn't a neutral space once you understand something to be silent to sit back no, yeah. you're compelled to act. And act for the better, right? Absolutely. And hopefully, Absolutely. and hopefully, you know, as we progress through these very difficult times of entertaining different ideas and trying to affect change and trying to be better, that, you know, one day um, our collective divinity will transcend everything and that people will be able to come together and and live a much more happier and peaceful life right yeah absolutely shane it's irrespective of where you sit in this world we know one universal idea is this good always prevails Mm -hmm. goodness always prevails we all are inherently created innately created with an idea of what good is yeah and that desire to see good lived out so it always prevails. Now, is there a cost to it? Yes. Does it take time? Yes. Is it painstaking? Absolutely. But look throughout history. Despite where we are and the need for us to progress more, again, I say we're constantly, we're in this constant perfecting state. It doesn't end. There's no end state and that's it. It's a constant state because we're right. human beings. But look at where we've come from. Look at where we have evolved to. And is there a need to grow more? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know, are we, would, would we say it's still okay for men and women to drink and drive? No. Or to yeah. give teenagers cigarettes? No. Now, we're giving them weed. That's another conversation. We'll see the consequence of that later on in life. But yeah. for all intents and purposes. Or take away the vote of women. No, we got that. Give yeah. blacks votes. No. We believe that that's important. Provide education for girls in, in, in regions around the world where they're not permitted to. Absolutely. Respect religious freedoms. Absolutely. And there are fringes and naysayers who will try to push back the hand of time. But time is such like, you know, a clock when it's ticking and it's going, you push it back, you're going to ruin the watch. You're going to ruin the clock. Yeah. So One why step not at a embrace, time. Yeah. Why not embrace the change and the movement forward? So we see goodness always prevails. 
and it prevails because people of goodwill and good intent continue with that agenda. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been a, a very good and exciting conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk today. Um, it was an honor to have you on, and thank you for your, your insight and My your pleasure. wisdom and for sharing it with everyone. My pleasure. It's been a delight. Please have me back if you will. Of course. I'm, I, I can we, blather away. <laughs> we, we could talk forever. Indeed, indeed. We may right. not have the answers, but the conversation is a useful one because that's where people begin to think and, and change in their consciousness. And that's what we want. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. Eh? My All pleasure. Right. You take, take care. care. Bye.